What's up, guys? In case you haven't heard, Blue Wire Studios just dropped their first original podcast, Golden Goal. And the show gives you 10-minute episodes. It's all about soccer legends and the moments that made them. Whether you're just learning about soccer for the first time or a diehard fan, this podcast has a great listen for everyone even a Nottingham Forest supporter like me. The final two episodes are live right now or binge the entire season to learn about your favorite soccer stars. Check out Blue Wire's Golden Goal, available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Going left side, watch Calvin, Enzo, got him, oh baby, that was a rocket! And it's picked off, intercepted by Darius Slade, no one will catch him, touchdown Lions! Hello and welcome to episode 78! Of the Michael Rothstein Show, I'm your host, as always, Michael Rothstein. This episode brought to you by Bet Online, as it has been for the past six months. And we're just going to get right into it a little bit today. As I said, we're kind of trying to have episodes daily or close to daily from now on as we're getting ready to ramp into training camp, although we don't know exactly what that's going to look like yet, exactly when things are going to start, exactly when the media is going to begin to be able to watch. All of that stuff should be coming and is changing by the day. To break all of that down today, we're going to have our guest, ESPN national writer Kevin Seifert, who along with our colleague Dan Graziano has been covering all of the latest happenings when it's been coming to what's been happening with COVID-19 and what has been going on as the NFL tries to get back on the field. And it's going to be something that just continues to remain to be seen. I don't really know much more to say about it at this point. We cover a lot during the discussion with Kevin and we'll be back again tomorrow with more of a Lions-centric episode unless news happens tomorrow otherwise. But yeah, a encourage you to sit back and Kevin should have been a guest on this podcast a long time ago, but just things happened and we weren't able to get him on until now. And I'm glad we were able to have him on the show. Hope everybody's been enjoying the nice weather out there. Uh, I've been trying to take some walks and get a few last minute things in here and there before football season begins. As always, please consider subscribing, downloading, all of that helps this podcast and let me know who you want to hear from as we go along this season as this is going to be a different season than anything I think any of us have seen before. I'm looking forward to seeing it if it does happen as everything should be couched with an if now and we're about to get some live sports back here again soon as baseball is getting ready to come back. Basketball is getting ready to come back, and obviously we've had boxing and UFC back for a while, which I also cover and I've hit on here and there. So right after this break, we will get right into it with ESPN national writer Kevin Seifert. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, 
futures and props to bet on, all available 24-7. On the entertainment side, Floyd Money Mayweather joins the Bet Online team to bring you a brand new segment, The Ice is Right. Floyd talks all his jewelry and gives you the chance to bet on the cost of his bling to win some great prizes. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online wagering expert. Now, back to our show. My next guest on the Michael Rothstein Show is a good friend of mine. I've been a colleague for about a decade now. From ESPN, he is national writer Kevin Seifert. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm surprised it took so long to, to jump on this podcast, but I'm, I'm thrilled at the invitation. Uh, that's, that's my fault. Uh, I totally take the blame on that, mostly because <laughs> I tried to not do as many episodes there once COVID started. So once COVID started, you. everything kind of slowed down a little bit. Uh, but I'm glad that you're here now. Thank you for taking the very delayed invitation uh, onto the show. And I want to jump in right away yeah. to the big news of what's going on, which is what's going on with the NFL right now? I mean, it seems like every day things are changing, things are shifting. Where do things stand right now as far as the NFL getting into camp on time and what that protocol will look like for players and coaches when they do arrive in Allen Park and in Arizona and in California and, and all the rest. Well, Mike, they've done enough of the health and safety protocols. The NFL and the NFLPA have agreed on enough of those protocols to get to start the process of guys reporting to training camp and going into the team facilities. What happens after that? It's about a five-day process of testing that they – have to do in which they need to test negative twice um, and then begin the daily testing on day five. Uh, what happens after that point is still, uh, as we record today, under negotiation. Um, how long they will have between uh, those multiple negative tests and when they get out on the field is still to be determined. Um, whether there's a preseason uh, or not, uh, officially is uh is still not announced it doesn't look like there will be one but that still is par part of the ongoing negotiations um, how many padded practices all those kind of things are still uh in discussion but what they have agreed on and this is no small feat is how they're going to start the process and that accounts probably for the first week or so of everybody's camps um, and so as at the moment this week, a few teams are already having their uh, rookies and some selected veterans report and start that, that process. Some teams are holding back until they know the entire uh, schedule uh, once that gets resolved. And then after all that gets resolved, they still need to come up with how they're going to account for what we all assume are um, going to be lower revenues this year. Uh, you know, whether they want to uh, simply just have it all count as a lower salary cap next season, or they want to spread it out, or they want money held in escrow until they know exactly what the losses are. Those are all really complicated uh, negotiations that have to um, uh, occur probably before the start of the regular season. Uh, but 
the short version answer to your question is they have enough agreed upon that that teams can start having some players report to camp this week if they choose. So for most teams that are supposed to have veterans report on the 28th, which includes the Lions, that means that even though camp report date is technically the 28th, the earliest anyone's going to be doing anything as far as a non-rookie or quarterback potentially is what, August 2nd, August 3rd, somewhere in there? Yeah, and we don't even know what that can be yet. Um, so those first five days, you take, you basically show up the first day, take a test, uh, you stay home for two days, come back again, take another test. If those two uh, tests are negative over those four days, you come back the fifth day and begin daily testing. And then at that point, you can go in the facility. In the meantime, I think there can be some uh, remote virtual Zoom meetings or how, whatever platform teams decide to use for that. You can do some, some discussions and meetings, but uh, you can't even get into the facility until the fifth day. And I think at that point, the most likely next step is to begin some uh, you know, strength and conditioning testing and workouts. What they really, what the union especially is really concerned about is if the period between when you return to the facility and you get out on the field is too short, uh, there's going to be a lot of injuries. Uh, the assumption on both sides is that because there was no real off-season program, you know, they did these virtual workouts. Um, but because there was no off-season program uh, and no football work was done at all, everyone's going to come back, not necessarily in bad cardiovascular shape, but in less than ideal football shape. And they, want, they did some research into the 2011 lockout and found that uh, injuries, especially hamstrings and Achilles injuries, spiked that training camp because they had similarly not had any football work uh, with the team, and they're trying to avoid that. So that's the reason they're going to take it slow. If there's no preseason, then you can take it slow, and you have you could go for weeks, you know, slowly ramping up, doing, you know, essentially walkthroughs on the field, um, you know, ramping that into into you know, uh, shoulder pads only, helmets only. And then eventually, after probably a couple of weeks, then you can start doing what we all consider to be traditional training camp practices. So it wouldn't be surprising to me if we don't see anything in camps that look like training camp until the middle of August. Is that realistically going to be enough time for players and for coaches to get ready? Or is September, in theory, if week one happens the week after Labor Day, which it typically has traditionally been will that look rough those yeah, first few weeks probably um you know and in talking you know our, our colleague dan graziano who's covered a lot of this as well and you know what he's fond of saying is that everyone should, just needs to drop the default on everything that could we consider to be normal and if you go into this year thinking that somehow the expectation is things are going to be a normal football season done normally, played normally, performed normally, normal results, then you're probably, you know, a little bit behind the curve. And the bottom line is it probably, you know, hopefully physically it's enough time and then nobody goes in the season and starts getting hurt uh, as a result of, of too short of prep time. But from a teamwork standpoint, logistics, especially teams that have new coaching staffs or new quarterbacks or what have you, it's, it's going to be a challenge. And whether it looks rough, across the league or whether there's some teams that are just woefully behind everybody else um, or if there's some other intangible that 
set of circumstances we haven't anticipated. Uh, I'm sure it, it, it will look rough. You know, officials um, aren't going to have preseason games uh, either. And I don't, you know, who knows if they even can make the training camp. And so they're going to be potentially week one uh, taking live snaps for the first time in a regular season game. So there's all kinds of reasons to think that this is going to be a very different season. And while there, it'll could very easily be exciting and dramatic, it may not be the most well-played uh, season in NFL history. It's interesting you say that because when you're talking about that, I'm thinking a lot of UFC, which is another sport that I cover. And sure. when UFC came back, when I talked to trainers, when I talked to fighters, one of the things that was said across the board was they didn't get the proper training camps for those early fights. So they didn't know what to expect, only that it could be way more exciting because guys are going to play – be more fighting more on instinct than on coaching. Yeah. Is it entirely possible we could see that too, where maybe like some of the teams that A have been together longer or B just have more of those instinctual players or more cerebral players end up being better early because they just use their natural instincts on it versus, you know, knowing 16, 17, 18, 20 plays down. Well, I think we all know that human beings, let alone coaches and players uh, have the ability to overthink over prepare um you know in normal years coaching staffs spend the entire off season you know in the morning they're doing schemes for their games and in the afternoon they're they're doing conditioning for players or vice versa and you know maybe it'll be it's but we, we should remember that what the outcome of the draft was heading into the virtual draft where nobody got a chance to go up to pro days and nobody got a chance to invite players into the building and they didn't get a chance to do a lot of the normal things they do to scout players and make final decisions. Every, the whole idea was, you know, this is going to be terrible. We have no chance to have a good draft because we don't have enough information and we're going to look terrible and we're going to pick terrible players and the whole world's going to come down. And that's, and a lot of general managers didn't want the draft to happen at that time because they didn't feel like they would be fully prepared. And what we found, I guess, we won't know for sure until you know a few years from now, but it looked like the draft went off okay, and a lot of teams got some good players, and uh, some of them are going to miss. You know, they would have missed some on some anyway, and some of them are going to hit. They were going to hit on some anyway, and so uh, it, it, it's. I don't know how that will translate. That that thought process will translate to football on the field, but in terms of sometimes when teams don't play well because of paralysis by analysis or their game plan is too complicated or their playbook is too complicated. You're not going to be able to have a complicated playbook this year. You're probably not going to be able to have a really nuanced in-depth um, uh, game plan unless your entire team is back with the same coaching staff and they can just pick up where they left off. So whether it's instinct or whether you're just pulling back from the overthinking, the tendency to overthink, it could it could end up being just very interesting and exciting in a different way. Why didn't you know, like we were talking about a little bit ago, there's still so much left to be negotiated. The one thing that it seemed like the NFL had from March on was the benefit of time that every other league in sport did not have. And yet you're sitting here a week before camp not knowing what's going to happen next week, let alone in the regular season, which I still yeah. think has a ton of questions. 
why didn't they at least have contingency plans or get this worked out before July 22nd? I think, you know, part of it's probably just that the nature of negotiations, you know, gets pushed back. Um, you know, this is a, a union environment where the, the, the team, you know, can't just, the, the employer can't just impose working conditions on the employees. It needs to be done uh, in conjunction with each other. And the nature of some of that is that, you know, frankly, that it just gets delayed because that's a negotiating tactic. And part of it, though, from the medical side, especially, I don't think there was any desire to, on either side, from what I can see, to push that part of it out, probably the economic part, for sure. But the the medical stuff evolved dramatically uh, and consistently throughout that they did have a lot of time. But think back to March and think about what the circumstances were then. You know, the whole country was in lockdown, infections running wild in, in the Northeast. Uh, and then we went moved to a period where everything in the Northeast was moving down precipitously and the rest of the country seemed fine. And then, so then you had a different template that potentially you were planning for, for training camp. And then as, as June and July rolled around, you saw California, Arizona, Texas, Florida, other places spiking again. And so they had another set of, uh, of circumstances that, that the country, you know, fell into. And in the meantime, the research on the, the virus itself, how it spread has changed significantly. And so therefore the protocols you need and don't need have changed. And so I think a lot of this has just evolved in real time. And so when you combine natural negotiating strategy with a very uncertain, um, you know, very limited amount of science that was available at that beginning, even though they had all that time, they probably took that time to learn and, and get enough information to know uh, as best as they could what things were going to be like when training camp began. But, I, and I kind of want to push on this a little bit in that, what happens if, because there's no bubble, like the, you know, the yeah. one thing I think we've seen over the last couple of days that a lot of our colleagues in sport, in journalism have praised is, is that there has been no positive tests in MLS and no positive tests in NBA that can't correlate for the NFL because they're in a different situation, right? Like that yeah. at least, or am I reading that wrong? And, no. and it can't correlate. Yeah, they, they, I don't think they ever could really view themselves as a, as a possible, um, uh, as a possibility for a bubble concept because of how big the league is. And even if you tried to have a, 32 local bubbles, that's still a lot of people. Um, and you know this as well as I do in terms of the amount of people that are around the team every day and required to transport those, those players. Um, it, to me, unless the NFL wanted to just think about every possibility and say, what if we regionalize the league and just said, we'll have a season where the Packers, Lions, Bears, and Vikings play each other two or three times, and then we'll, we'll come up with a brand new playoff system and try to figure it out. But and have those guys in a bubble. If they, you know, it wouldn't have been a normal football season, but it would have been football. But they were very committed to having a normal football season. And so that just didn't lend itself to any kind of creative solutions. They chose or didn't feel it was possible to do the local bubbles. And so really their strategy became, we're going to test our way through the season. And that's why it eventually, because that was their, their, their core philosophy, um, that's why it became you had a test every day, at least at the beginning, because uh, 
you know, people are going to go, there's all these protocols for what you can do in the facility and who can get in and who can be, who can be exposed to the players. But um, at the end of the day, they're all going home and to the, you know, hopefully all they do is go home, but there's still other people there. There's friends, family, you know, multi-generations possibly uh, who knows who else, you know, comes through the house, you know, they have to go out and, and probably run errands. Like there's going to be, they're going to be in the community. And so, that's the risky part of what the NFL is doing um, is that they're not going to be able to, they, they might be able to know where people go based on some of the devices, the tracing devices they're using, but they can't control it. And so there's definitely the possibility in, on all, in all 32 of these teams that they can do everything they can uh, when they're at the facility, but they're at the mercy of what somebody does outside. And so they, they can only hope that the daily testing will catch that catch any infection that somebody might have gotten in the community and allow them to isolate those people uh, before they infect a, a significant portion of the team. So when you're, when we're talking about daily testing here, are they going to get same time or real time results? Because how, how is that going to work? Are you testing at the end of every day and then getting the back in the morning? Are you testing in the beginning and then they go through practice, but what happens if they tested positive at the end of the day? Didn't you just wipe out your offensive line potentially? Potentially. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think 24 hours is the uh, return that they're hoping to get. I don't think there's any large scale uh, testing going on in the country that's, uh, that's being returned on the same day. You know, I think that, you know, like the White House has some equipment that they can get uh, quickly, but that's a small group of people that are being tested. And so, you know, but that's why, and people have, this has been a big portion, you know, discussion is like, what's the, you know, you can't social distance in football because you go out and you play football and guys are uh, banging against each other. And that's why during the week, they have all these protocols in place, six feet away in the locker room, you know, pull out every other shower head so that guys are six feet while they're away while they're taking showers you know, one-way corridors to keep people from passing each other and inf infecting each other that way. Masks at all times when you're in there, you know, Zoom, Zoom meetings whenever possible. And if you have to have a meeting uh, in person, limited number, uh, appointments for the trainers to go get your ankle tape so that there's not 30 guys in there waiting to get their ankles taped. That, all that kind of stuff is to minimize the chance of infection during the week and then the idea is if you've done that and you've tested repeatedly and you're, you can feel with high confidence that nobody gets on the field on sunday infected then maybe the, you've you figured out a way to to play football in the pandemic but um you know i i think that's you know I, there's no there's no unless you really the, the bubble thing really work could work with you know thousands of people, which I think they decided could not, this is the next best approach. We'll see if they're able to keep the infections out of the practice facilities enough and isolate them, the ones that do get in enough to prevent large scale outbreaks. It's, I, I, I don't know, I'm just, I'm just, maybe it's a skeptic in me. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to imagine that happening and it's especially easy to imagine it causing chaos because we don't know yet what their response, the protocol for the response is entirely. We know that as soon as someone tests positive, they have to go in a room and they got to get them out of the facility and get them home or get them to the hospital or whatever needs to be done to care for that person. 
whether they're symptomatic or asymptomatic, but we don't know what the protocol, who needs to be quarantined and for how long um, if that person had come into contact with somebody during the incubation period. You know, if, if an offensive lineman um, comes in on Monday and he is positive, do you have to, do you then just go test all the other offensive linemen and all the players from the game before the day before that he came into contact with? Do all those people need to be isolated? Um, if so, where do, where do their replacements come from? We haven't gotten that information yet, but I think the daily testing might be something that mitigates the need to isolate people for 14 days because you can test them um, daily to see if they have become positive. But you still, in theory, would be isolate. You could end up having to isolate a team for four days or five days because, I mean, based off of all of the knowledge I have, it's that, and that's been publicly available, like symptoms can show anywhere from, what, two to 14 days. Yeah. So at what point do you kind of say, okay, if so, it's just, I've been using the example on this podcast when we've talked about COVID of, Frank, say Frank Ragnow comes down with COVID. And I do that because he has contact with Matthew Stafford and he has contacts with the guards that automatically like that quad, like that group right there, what happened, you know, and running backs as well. So you're that he gets hurt, sick. You might lose a lot of guys right away, but how long can you keep them quarantined for before you feel like that's even close to safe? Because what happens if you say, okay, it's four days. And then on day five, uh, Nick Bodden comes down with it and it turns out, well, he got it because of that. And then you contact trace and then, you know, it seems like it would be a vicious cycle. Yeah. That could happen. Yeah. And, and it does. And, and I can't dispute what you're saying. I don't know if they have an answer to that because they haven't gotten to that point in terms of announcing how they're going to handle all that kind of thing. They really haven't gotten who they haven't discussed at all, how they're going to handle the competitive equity of like rosters and, what do you do if X number of people are unavailable and how, where do you get the replacements and how do you, you know, the biggest, most important thing is how do you, how do you uh, ensure a credible game that you have enough players at all the positions to, you know, to, to do that? Like you, I don't think we want to see a game where, you know, uh, you know uh, a running back is playing quarterback the entire game because everybody is, 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 either sick or injured or, or both, or you have, you're having to move a, a wide receiver to safety, you know, because it would be, I mean, it'd be kind of like, you know, it'd be fun to watch. It'd be fun to watch. And, but if you, you know, let's just say if you had, if you had put some money on the game, you might not be thrilled to know that your money is based on uh carry on Johnson's ability to complete a third and 18 pass or something, you know, um, <laughs> But and nothing against him, but that's not what he's in the NFL to do. And so that's the that's kind of the biggest picture thing is they they need to and they have not answered that sufficiently in my mind and and we don't need to know right now. But how are they going to make sure that there's enough pool that there's a pool of players that a team can either already have in house and maybe quarantine somewhere else, you know, or like have on quick recall or on practice the practice squad. Um, to ensure just basic credibility of games. But it does go back also to what Dan has been saying is like, just lower your expectations for a perfect season. You know, things are going to be different than what we've ever seen. I don't think 
we want to see a lot of games where, again, where you have a tight end playing left tackle or you have a, a linebacker having to play fullback. But, like, if that happened once or twice, it would be pretty fun. I mean, if you, are, if you end up getting cut at the end of training camp, as yeah. of right now, and you don't end up on a practice squad, you pretty much have to come to the realization you're probably not playing this season at this point, right? I mean, like, that – because how do you do workouts at this point? Like that, that's again, yeah. I know, I know we're talking about questions that we just don't know necessarily yeah. answers. Well, to. a guy like that would be smart to, I mean, it might not be fair or, or fruitful for him, but if he really wanted to play this year, keep yourself quarantined, you know, isolated as much as possible. Uh, you know, keep yourself in as much in as good of shape in that environment as you can. And if they need, if they call you, 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 you're, you know, you're not positive when they call you, you know, you're, you're ne- you go in there and take the test and you're available. And so um, I don't know, like, I don't know if it's, if the, the pool is going to be more limited of players or they're going to have to expand like who they might call, you know, call uh, for replacements because they need bodies that bad. Yeah. It might be interesting too, because if say you're a guy that gets cut, do you stick around in that city of the team that cut you at the hotel or something at the, either at the hotel or if say you're a vet who rented a house and thought you were going to make the team, like say, you know what, instead of going back to Dallas or to Florida, you know, I'm going to stay here because there's a chance that they might need me on, on a Friday. And if I can say, yeah, I can be at your facility in 10 minutes because I'm in, in Canton, Michigan, or I'm in St. Paul, Minnesota, uh, Maybe that's smart. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess the one other thing I'd have for you with when it comes to this is, do you think that the situation as it is puts undrafted free agents, and I've talked about this on the podcast a little bit as well, undrafted free agents and your late round draft picks in a very bad situation to make teams? Um, I mean, it, it doesn't help. You know, there's, I'm sure every year there's some a handful of guys that, capture the attention of the decision makers in a preseason game that wouldn't otherwise do that. But I've always found, frankly, that those players are more likely to have gained the attention of uh, decision makers during the practices um, when they actually have probably have some more reps. Um, You know, I, I, I've always felt that the preseason games are over dramatized in terms of being places where people win and lose jobs maybe some priors are confirmed one way or the other, but uh, a, I think uh, most of the people enter camp pretty sure who's going to be on their 53 or 55 man roster and have an idea over, over the course of even before the preseason begins of who they're going to want on training camp on the uh, practice squad. And sometimes you see that reflected in playing time in the preseason because they don't play the guys a lot that they want to get through waivers and get on their practice squad. Uh, as part of sort of a strategy and so I don't I, you know somebody's got to fill these spots and so they might end up picking the wrong guys maybe I don't know you know but they there's not less jobs once the um, season begins and so the but then the question is what are teams going to be more likely to pick um, players who have experience in the league because versus not but a lot of coaches like young bodies and and like uh, you know live wires and so that I don't know I don't know if we if we know the answer to that I don't think it's it's like a death knell for undrafted guys it's it's going to be harder but I don't know if it's going to be a lot harder and so we'll see and so the and the only other thing on this whole topic just to, as a reminder is that you know as we talk about um, 
how they're going to handle the rosters or what's going to happen to UDFAs and what's going to, um, what's the protocol. And like also just recognize that the, um, the position that all of these people are in, whether it's coaches, players, officials, you know, the people, the chain crew, all these people are, are, are going to be exposed to a, a new level of risk that no one has ever been exposed to in football before. And we all know that all those people, um, you know, take on a lot of risk as it is, especially the players. And they're aware that every time they step on the field, it could be impacting their long-term careers. Um, in this case, they and their long-term health. In this case, they know there's a risk, but we don't even know what the long-term implications are. And so I just always try to, in these discussions, try to humanize a little bit. Um, you know, everybody's doing it by choice. Uh, you know, they don't, no one has to do it, uh, but it's it's a it's a it's a sobering thing just to think about as we prepare to hopefully have some weeks of NFL entertainment that a lot of people are are going to be you know some people are going to get sick some potentially very sick hopefully nothing beyond that but all of them are taking an elevated risk for us to be able to even engage in these conversations. Oh, without a doubt, and I think that that's that brings up one other thing which is it seems like one of the things that hasn't been decided as of Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, which is what an opt-out would look like if a yeah. player wants to opt out. And at least me personally, but I've been on vacation the last couple weeks, I haven't heard of many players at this point saying they would opt out. But one would think that once that language gets firmed up, it's entirely possible that you could well, see players say, hey, I, you know what, I'm just sitting this one out. I know for a fact that some that players have been asking that question of the union just to know, you know, like this, you know, one guy's could have his grandmother living with him who's 80 years old and he doesn't want to bring it home to her or another person um, is diabetic. You know, you know, am I, is this a good idea for me to be doing this? And so all different kinds of reasons and not just players, you know, the players are the ones that are negotiating a, a set structure for, for their whole group, but coaches, uh, you know, that they don't get to negotiate. They just have to hope that the NFL um, provides some kind of, you know, if there's anybody who wants to opt out and not lose their job, they have to hope that the NFL or their particular teams are uh, sympathetic to that. Uh, officials, you know, the, the average NFL official is 52 years old. Um, there's a lot of referees, especially the ones we see on TV actually announcing the calls who are in their 60s. And so, uh, you know, do any of them want to opt out? They're, they're also a union. They have a union that is negotiating that kind of thing with the NFL now. So um, we don't know what it'll look like. Uh, we know that the NFL is generally a pay for uh, a play for pay uh, environment. Um, this would be an exception if they uh, allow people or they provide a structure in which someone um, who's has, you know, provable, unique um, circumstances can opt out and either still be paid or still keep their roster spot or be guaranteed to not be cut until they eventually return that, that sort of thing. I would say for, like you said, for team employees, for coaches, really probably specifically, do you think they would be allowed to opt out? And I realize maybe we don't know the answer, but I know just thinking off the top of my head of a couple of coaches who've dealt with cancer in the last five years, yeah. that's obviously something that causes an elevated risk. Mm -hmm. If you were to catch COVID, like 
is that even an option for those for those coaches or do they have to kind of say, you know what, I, I'm going to take this risk or I'm just going to quit? Um, that's the central question that I don't have an answer to yet. And they may not either. Um, you know, and the, there's some head coaches who obviously make very good money. Um, there's a lot of assistant coaches that you may be referring to in terms of age or pre-existing conditions who who don't make so much money that an NFL team would be bankrupted if they agreed to pay their salary and, and let them stay home, especially coaching. You could come up with some things for somebody to do at home, you know, in terms of film breakdown, in terms of projects, in terms of talking to players, you know, reviewing their performances. Um, there's some, that's another thing. If you, if you have two guys on your staff that, that don't want to be exposed, you might be able to find stuff for them to do, you know, via virtual for the year um, and still contribute. Um, and so, again, it wouldn't be ideal. It wouldn't be normal. It wouldn't be what we normally expect, but it might be what you have to do to have not only an effective season, but a humane season as well. Like if you have to say an older special teams coordinator and you have an assistant special teams coordinator that's younger and maybe that older yeah. coordinator, uh, you know, ha has had some health problems in the past. Could that older coordinator say he does everything on Zoom Younger guy, hey, you're handling everything on the field and in meetings, and he literally either goes, maybe comes in, goes to his office, and goes home every day, or just works remotely. Yeah, yeah, and coaches from like the booth. Yeah, and we'll see you know, what that would look like. For probably each coach, head coach would make that you know call, but like it's just idea is being that there's ways to deal with you know, on a short-term basis, not forever. You don't think they're going to say you can work at home forever, but for this season that we can, you know, you're a valued employee, we can accommodate you and your, and your health and still have work for you to do so that you're not like, you, you know, which I'm sure they all would prefer to do some work as opposed to sitting around, but that, you know, we can, we can create a structure that will eliminate your, um, your risk for exposure at the facility or at stadiums. Kevin, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. It was way too long. It took, you, it took me way too long to get you on here. And I know we didn't talk any Lions stuff specifically, but uh, hopefully you'll come back on and we can talk uh, some Lions stuff Certainly. soon. Maybe as we get closer to the season and we know whether there will be a season and what that will look like. Yeah, it's funny. We just spent this whole time talking uh, what the season is going to look like and no one can say with 100% certainty that will even happen. So, Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a wild uh, month and a half, I think, before Labor Day and teams have to make roster decisions. So, Kevin, thanks For again, sure. man. I appreciate it. Okay, thank you, Mike. want to thank my guest on today's show, Kevin Seifert. Really glad that he took the time to make an appearance on the podcast. You can follow Kevin on Twitter at Seifert. That's S-E-I-F-E-R-T E-S-P-N. That's Seifert E-S-P-N. You can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Mike Rothstein. Follow all of my work, obviously, at ESPN.com. And we will chat with you again tomorrow.